Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. It's Friday, uh, October the 9th, at least on the West Coast. Uh, I'm in my Berkeley studio, and we inch closer and closer to this fateful election in America. Uh, the T word is in the, the air, treason. Uh, we have the Michigan 15 who have been accused of a, a treasonous plot to, uh, to capture the governor of, of Michigan. We have Donald Trump claiming that Biden and Obama are treasonous. We have people on the left claiming that Trump himself is treasonous for his relations with the Russians and with various other foreign governments. And meanwhile, most people don't actually know what this word treason means. That's why we have a law professor on our show today. Um, Carlton F.W. Larson is the Martin Luther King Professor of Law at UC Davis, up the road from me near Sacramento, and the author of a really helpful new book on treason called, indeed, On Treason. Uh, Carlton, you're not in a law seminar now, but for the benefit of our audience, give us a definition of what treason in the American context actually means. Sure. So, so every country has a treason law of some form, generally dealing with crimes of national betrayal. Um, the United States is distinctive uh, in that we actually define the crime of treason directly in our constitution itself. Uh, and the crime is limited to levying war against the United States or adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Uh, and so if something doesn't fit those very narrow definitions, uh, it can't be prosecuted as treason. Uh, your book focuses on the, the origins of, uh, of, of, of the Constitution and our understanding of treason in the United States. You note that, of course, America was itself founded upon what some people see as treasonous principles. Um, square that circle, uh, uh, Carlton. What, what, um, how can a country that was founded on a rebellion against uh, its government uh, construct laws of treason which don't seem absurd and hypocritical? Well, I mean, one of the problems is, you know, every government has to have some type of laws dealing with um, internal security. I mean, I don't think uh, the framers of the and founders of the revolution would have wanted a country where everybody is free to just um, up and revolt. Indeed, and when that did happen shortly after the Constitution was adopted in the Whiskey Rebellion, um, George Washington sent an army uh, to suppress it and then tried those people uh, for treason. But the real lesson of the revolution for many of the founders was that when they were simply protesting um, British tax policies and complaining um, about their lack of representation in Parliament, uh, there were British legal officials who claimed that these people were treason, treasonous simply for um, trying to assert their rights within the British Empire. Uh, and so that experience of being labeled traitors long before they ever took up, took up arms uh, was one that was very searing and 
uh, it was important, uh, they realized, that um, we don't have a situation where things like ordinary political protest, political dissent, um, could be you know, mutated into treason by a government that's trying to suppress uh, that type of dissent. And so therefore they wrote the definition fairly narrowly, knowing they had to be able to prosecute at least some forms of treason, uh, but also being very aware of the abuse that can happen when government uh, reads those crimes in a very broad manner. Carlton, for the benefit of our podcast listeners who are not actually watching this, uh, on our screen now, four photos, three traditional heroic ones from the American Revolution, including the burning of Jamestown, and then a picture of the 10 rebellious Michiganders who were plotting this rebellion against uh, the governor. Uh, it's been in the news in the last few days. Again, just for me as a, as a lay person, as someone who has never and will never go to law school, what's the difference between these, these Michiganders and the people who burned Jamestown? Well, I mean, on, on, on the one hand, I mean, they are both people who are attempting to overthrow a government and the people who were trying to overthrow the government during the revolution were traitors under English law. There's no question that English law, as it defined it, once the fighting started, um, made it an act of treason. And if the British had won, some of those folks might have been possibly tried uh, for that crime, but they didn't win. Um, the Michiganders, um, they are curiously actually possibly uh, subject to the law, state laws of treason. Um, most states have some type of laws governing treason, and you can actually commit treason against Michigan. Um, now, if they'd actually carried out the plot, I think there's a decent argument that you could say they'd levied war against the state of Michigan. Um, since they did, and all they had was a conspiracy, and historically conspiracy to levy war has not been treated the same uh, as an actual act of treason, but they were on the path to potentially uh, committing treason against Michigan. Why do most people who commit treason have beards, Carlton? <laughs> well, I'm not sure that's totally true. That was true in the Civil War. Um, it's probably less true during the Revolution. And why are most of the male... Uh... I, I don't remember if you got into this in, in your book, but there seems to be something very male, both about the definition of treason, both of its defense and its undermining. Yeah, I mean, so you read through the, the cases, they always talk about groups of armed men, and it's uh, almost certainly they are thinking about men here as, as men. Um, there have been a few women who have been charged with uh, treason. Um, probably the most famous um, is the case of Tokyo Rose. Um, the woman who's charged with broadcasting for Radio Tokyo during uh, World War II. Um, there was also Mildred Jillers, um, Axis Sally, who was charged as a broadcaster uh, for um, the Germans uh, during World War II. So it, it does occasionally happen. There was, I found at least one case of a woman charged with treason uh, during the American Revolution. But on general, you're, you're right. It is, uh, tends to be a pretty uh, male crime. Well, of course, not according to... Uh... Donald J. Trump, who a couple of days ago put out one of his provocative tweets, to, 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 to use a euphemism, he says, wow, now do something about this. The biggest of all political scandals in history, in, in, in parentheses, Biden, Obama, and crooked Hillary led this treasonous plot. Biden shouldn't be allowed to run, got caught. What do you make of, of, of Trump's obsession with this idea of treason? Is he, um, is he making it into a, a sort of a reality television joke? 
Well, it's it's he certainly certainly debased the term so much now. I mean, it used to be if the president of the United States accused his opponent and his predecessor uh, of treason, that would be the biggest news for for months. Um, but now, I mean, nobody you know places any stock in anything Trump says. They just assume it's part of the same idiotic drivel that comes out of uh, this White House, and so people ignore it. But it's actually an extraordinary thing. Um, and this one is actually particularly extraordinary because he says that it, they committed treason by spying on his campaign. Well, his campaign in 2016 was he was a private citizen um, running an election for election. And, you know, treason is a crime against the government. Um, so even if, you know, Obama and Biden did all these horrible things that Trump claims and there's, there's no evidence that, that they did, it still wouldn't be treason because um, it's not treason to interfere with somebody's political campaign. I mean, people mess with campaigns all the time. Uh, you know, that's not treason. Carlton, we've had uh, some people on the show. We've really focused on this very murky financial relationship between Trump and the Russians. A number of experts, reporters, uh, including um, uh, Tom Burgess, uh, have argued on the show, prize-winning journalists, that, that there is a clear financial relationship between uh, Trump and Putin. If there is, I know you're, you're not an expert in that area, could we argue then that Trump himself is guilty of treason? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think it would show what we would say in colloquial terms is a betrayal of the country, um, that he had put you know, Russia's interests ahead uh, of America's. Um, if he's even potentially taking orders from Putin, who knows? Um, but even still, that would not actually amount to treason. It wouldn't count as levying war uh, against the United States. Um, and it wouldn't count uh, as adhering to our enemies. Uh, giving the maid in comfort because enemies doesn't apply to just any foreign nation. It has to be a foreign nation uh, with whom we are in a state of open war. Uh, and we are not in a state of open war uh, with Russia. Um, otherwise, if it were, you know, simply doing anything that helped another country, you could imagine all kinds of things uh, could be arguably be seen as treason. You, you give up one little thing in a trade negotiation with Canada. Um, have you committed treason? No, probably not. Uh, it wouldn't make sense to have the definition that broad. Um, so this means that in a colloquial sense, Trump may well be a, um, a traitor, but not in a uh, legal sense. He, he couldn't be prosecuted um, in federal court for this crime. It's an irony, isn't it, uh, 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 Carlton, that we're obsessed with this concept of treason. We have the president going on and on about it, even though he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet in the last 65 years, as you note in your book, only one person in the United States has ever been tried for treason or at least uh, uh, prosecuted. Uh, why this obsession with treason on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, nothing ever really happens in the law itself? Yeah, well, I mean, I do think the obsession is, is somewhat of recent vintage. Um, I didn't, when, you know, when Barack Obama was president or George W. Bush was president, I didn't get calls from reporters asking if the president of the United States had committed treason. Um, you know, I can get calls from reporters saying, hey, Obama accused someone of treason. Is he right? Uh, you know, this is uh, distinctively um, part of Trump's contribution to our political culture. Um, you know, uh, I don't think it's a positive one. I mean, I guess yeah, it does draw attention to what I'm interested in, uh, Carlton. Yeah. I think there are other words. <laughs> other words, right. Yeah. But is how dangerous is it? I mean, we can laugh about it and everyone laughs about him. He's increasingly becoming a, 
uh, you know, a, a figure of, 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 of humor, of absurdity, as he sort of seems to be continually unraveling in real time, especially over the last week. How dangerous is this perpetual conversation about trees? And particularly, again, when we when we look at the photos of these bearded young men who look as if none of them look as if they will or ever went to law school. They look as if they're <laughs> relatively simplistic um, characters who are easily swayed by demagogues like Trump. Well, this is, I think, a, a, a real problem. I mean, you know, the likelihood that Bill Barr's Justice Department will go and indict, you know, Nancy Pelosi's for treason uh, is, is zero. I mean, Trump Trump wants that to happen. But it's just not going to happen. I mean, that's 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 silly. Um, but, you know, these things trickle down to other folks um, who actually believe what the president says, who really thinks that the political opponents are actual traitors. And, you know, you just can't have a, a pluralistic functioning democracy of, with multiple political parties um, where everybody thinks everybody on the other side um, is a traitor uh, and that disagreements over public policy um, get converted into the highest crime known to the law. Um, you know, we have to be able to disagree with each other without being disagreeable and without labeling each other as criminals. Uh, and so I think this has really poisoned uh, political rhetoric in this country. And hopefully, you know, maybe um, if Trump leaves office, it will it can come back a bit. Um, but there are real costs to this. Um, and again, not so much because I'm worried that someone's going to be improperly tried for treason in, an, in a federal court. That won't happen. Um, but, you know, these guys, they supposedly were going to try uh, Governor Whitmer for treason on their own in some sort of, you know, rump proceeding. Um, and that's really quite terrifying. Certainly for Whitmer, it's terrifying. For yeah. Whitmer, we'd have to watch it on YouTube. Um, do you take uh, Trump seriously when he tweets and tells Fox News that he's putting pressure on Barr to arrest Pelosi or, or Biden or Obama? Or is this just more reality television? Um, Barr hasn't pushed back yet on Trump. Do you think he's actually pushing back on this one if, if they're really having these kinds of insane conversations? I suspect so. I mean, Barr was asked in an interview you know, a while back about treason, and he made very clear that the things that were being talked about were not treason um, under the legal definition. So um, it's hard to know, is the president just tweeting about this or is he actually putting the pressure on Barr? But um, I think Barr is a, he's a shrewd lawyer. I mean, he's going to go bring the cases where he thinks he has a shot of winning uh, and where he can do the most damage. Uh, and it's not going to be a frivolous suit, you know, accusing uh, a member of Congress of, of treason. He's, he's, I think, more um, tactically focused than, than that. Carlton, uh, the election is about 18, 19 days away now. If indeed... Trump refuses to leave office, if he calls into question the legitimacy of the election, if he calls on these different militias to rise up in revolt against the American establishment, could he be guilty of treason in, in that context? Um, well, that's that's a very tricky question. Um, that's why I asked it. Yeah, You're a tricky well, it's, it's also it's tricky because there's also um, some First Amendment issues that come into play there in terms of uh, whether you're actually inciting imminent violence or not, um, and whether it's different if you're the president um, of the United States uh, and what level of involvement you have to actually have 
um, in the violence. Um, formally, for the crime of treason by levying war against the United States, you have to have um, an assemblage of men uh, and some use of force, uh, generally with the intent to overthrow uh, the government of the United States. And so it would depend uh, on what people actually did um, and then to what extent you could tie Trump uh, into that uh, directly. Um, so it's sort of hard to answer in the abstract without knowing uh, the facts of, of a very specific situation. What about the argument by a, a non-legal person like me that Trump has made such a mockery of the system? He's undermined every single institution, every single law, every single understanding of what American democracy is, that in that sense, he's treasonous. Well, I think well, in a colloquial sense, you can certainly say um, that he has destroyed much of America, you know, that and the parts of America that we that we like and that he has done all kinds of things to make the federal government ineffective uh, and incompetent. And to that extent, he has harmed America um, and made it worse. Um, but the problem is those types of claims are the claims one often can make against political opponents. Now, granted, Trump is an extreme case. Um, so we might say in a very colloquial sense um, that he has betrayed the country. But I, I would be reluctant, um, you know, to just be constantly calling Trump um, a traitor. Uh, I don't think that really improves um, the dialogue. I mean, I realize people really like, there's a sort of therapeutic sense in spouting this out. Uh, and the people really, people push back at me because they really want it to be treason. Like it's just, it's very, very, very important to them that this not be espionage, that this not be money laundering, that this not be some other crime. It must be treason and only treason. And um, it's sort of, you know, there's this emotive aspect to it that gets people riled up. Um, but that emotive aspect is the very part of our souls that we want to try to keep in check with law and reason, right? Because we don't want people, um, you know, pointing to other people as traitors in this, you know, riled up sense. And uh, bad things happen um, when, when people get in that type of mood. Well, that's why we have you on the show, Carl, to bring us down to earth. At least I got you to admit that colloquially, at least, and I don't know how you use that word and how we define that word, and if that word even exists in the law, uh, Trump is, is, is a traitor, but uh, perhaps not under the law. Everyone should uh, read your new book on, on treason, A Citizen's Guide to the Law, if they want to understand the nuts and bolts of the law of treason and why it's so rarely been used in America. Uh, you, I know, are up the road from me uh, in, in Davis, California. You teach at UC Davis uh, in these strange times. Uh, Carlton, what else should people be reading in addition to your book on treason? Well, um, what I find helpful in times like this is to um, immerse oneself in something completely different. Um, and that can either be you know, non-history fiction or even better, I find, historical fiction. Um, to just go into a completely other period of time uh, and uh, imagine yourself there. And you can see often the connections between uh, you know, the older worlds and ours. So a series that I, that I dearly love uh, is by the English writer C.J. Sansom, um, who writes a set of historical murder mysteries set in Tudor England. Uh, and his lead character is a, a barrister uh, named Matthew Shardlake. And much of what he has to do is negotiate the sort of poisonous politics of the Tudor court 
uh, under Henry VIII. And this was a time period when people were also talking a lot uh, about uh, treason. Uh, and you had a sort of overweight, uh, despotic ruler um, who was very impulsive. Uh, and you see um, echoes, perhaps, uh, with our own time. Um, and so something like that, I find, uh, is satisfying. And you realize, you know, people have gotten through some pretty horrible things before uh, in, this, in this world, and we're going to get through this as well. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.